After Work Drinks Club, a business podcast where I chat with influential movers and shakers, top achievers, and all-round incredible people. We explore how they've got to where they are and how you can too. If you want to level up, go make your order at the bar, pull up a seat at the table, and join in, because you belong here. I'm your host, Vanessa Sanyauke, the founder and CEO of Girls Talk London a global agency that empowers thousands of women to develop the skills and confidence to succeed in their careers and life. So if you're listening on your morning commute with a coffee, working from home with a cup of tea, or joining us for after-work drinks, consider this your time to laugh, learn, and level up. On the podcast today, we have Ete Davies, the CEO of Engine Creative. You will encounter difficulty and failure more often than you will encounter success. You have to find a way to work through that. And you have to also push the team to work through that. And for them to see the end goal of success outweighing the the 1% of success, outweighing the 99% of difficulty, failure and hardship to get there. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the After Work Drinks Club. I'm so happy to have you here once again, and I'm super excited to share that I'm a brand ambassador for Blue Water for this series. And today, I'm drinking their garden tonic water with a bit of gin. So cheers to you. I really hope you are enjoying the series so far. Thank you so much for all of your reviews, your messages, and your comments. Honestly, every bit of engagement shows us that the podcast is resonating with you. And it also helps other people like you find the gems that are in these conversations. So thank you. Today, we have a really powerful episode with Ete Davies, the CEO of Engine Creative. Ete is a powerhouse. He's led top advertising agencies, started diversity initiatives, and is still making time to mentor up-and-coming executives across industries. Ete is all about making a difference, and it's a true privilege to have him on the show today. One of my favourite things about Ete is his willingness to make time and lend a hand for people on their way up. If you can see it, you can be it. And Ete is an absolute shining beacon. I hope you enjoy this episode. Don't forget to follow and subscribe wherever you are listening. And don't forget to leave a review. Well, before we get stuck into your interview, we have a short icebreaker. So we ask each guest, we're in a virtual after work drinks club. So what would you like to order from our virtual bar? (laughs) It's a good question. Um, (laughs) I mean, at the moment, I'm probably going to say like a Virgin Mary. So like last week, I came down with, you know, the the cold that everyone is saying is like the worst cold ever, which is basically because we've not been out and immune system is depleted. So this week, I'm off the booth uh, for that reason. So I'll I'll go with a Virgin Mary. But normally, if I'm feeling up to it, it's like an old fashioned like a maker's mark or like a Japanese whiskey as the base. But yeah, Ah, I'll go for Virgin Mary this time. All right, Virgin Mary today. And we also ask our guests to toast to the highlight of the year so far. So what would you say has been your highlight of the year so far? <laughs> um, I uh, There's been a few, actually. Like, Well, the two biggest highlights of the year, um, we're getting two uh, new nieces into the family. So um, I've got a younger brother, a younger sister. They ended up having um, uh, babies just over a month and a half apart so that's particularly after you know the last few months and year that everyone has had like just so much joy around a new baby in the family and then having two so close together um so yeah that's probably been the toast of the year oh that's good that's a nice that's a nice highlight as well okay we'll toast to that toast to family and new additions Um, cheers. So what I wanted to ask you first, first of all, is your, I guess, business title, your, your job title. So you are the creative CEO at Engine. What is a creative CEO? That's quite, that's quite <laughs> um, a niche so title. It is, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll let you into a little secret and dispel the myth. It's basically the same job role as a, as a CEO. Um, the way Engine, the company I work in, like Engine Group is structured, is there are three divisions. There's like a comms PR division, 
there's a transformation uh, division, which is a business consultancy. And then there is a creative agency, which does the end-to-end of brand uh, marketing um, for consumer-facing brands. Uh, and I'm the CEO of that division. So it's everything that entails being a CEO, um, but it's of the creative division. I mean, there's obviously a heavy leaning on creative with a capital C in the group in that you know what we do is creative solutions for clients, be that in comms or in their experiences or you know in their business strategy. So that's the truth of it. You know, I, I quite like to think that it, it makes means that I operate in a slightly different way to CEOs. But yeah, it, in all honesty, it's a quirk of title. Ah, I see. Else. So you, so you essentially you manage that uh, that business area, that that division. Yeah, you're you're, yeah, you're yeah. responsible for that. Okay, and that's how right. and yeah. and how has that been for you, sort of in this role, stepping into this role, and the journey? Yeah, I mean. Yeah, well, I mean, sort of thinking most specifically about this role and engine in the last few months, it's been all of the challenges that you can expect in your career, I think, um, in one go. You know, I've been in the industry for about 17 years, and I was the MD of an agency called um, Analog Folk before I joined um, Engine. So being in a leadership role, you know, leading a business, all the resp- responsibilities with that are not new to me. Um and I've got experience doing that at different scale. But when I went into uh, Engine, it is that move into the C-suite, mm-hmm. um, you know, which carries a slightly different focus and sort of different pressure to sort of being an MD, whereby, yes, you're still leading the business strategy, but a lot of that role is the execution and operational delivery of the CEO's kind of vision, who is ostensibly the face of the agency, so to speak, and, and is the chief sort of visionary and um, strategy sort of uh setting individual so it was like stepping up into that role mm-hmm. um bigger uh agency so the the team at analog folk when i left it was 200 when i joined uh, engine group we were about three 300 or so within the creative division the journey that engine had been on was you had the group and then you had these 14 agency sub brands within it okay. and they were everything you could imagine from like a sports marketing agency to an events company and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, and the comms and the transformation pillar, when the business went through its restructure from the 14 brands to these three pillars, the two other pillars, the two CEOs of those pillars who had already been in the business, the companies that folded into their were much more, were very similar, mm-hmm. you know, in, in terms of what they did. So comms had, consumer and corporate PR, really similar businesses, lots of affinity and synergies there. The same thing with transformation. What I got in creative was probably the most interesting, diverse, but also not the most seamlessly connected bunch of companies in the sense that you had the sports marketing, you had the events company, an ad agency, a sort of digital experience agency, a brand design agency, the list goes on, social agency. The only thing that loosely connected them is that they all did creative brand marketing, worked into the CMO. They had people with similar job titles, but totally different businesses culturally, um, organizationally, how they delivered the work. And so I had to join to bring those things together to be sort of the connected, uh, to sort of be connected around something and, and operate as an integrated business, but also keep the strengths of the different parts of them. And so you had that new CEO role, you had basically bringing a complex business together, going into a a sector in in the industry with a big part of the creative pillar was, you know, above the line traditional advertising, which I've had some exposure to, but I I didn't have it as the core of my experience. I've always been more on the digital side of, you know, sort of agency life and and creative. Um, So you're kind of going into this situation where you also then have to learn a lot about the medium, which is a predominant part of the business, mm-hmm. the skills and the craft to sort of, you know, create that creative product. There was definitely some raised eyebrows, just based on kind of my background oh, and all of that. Was, I went yeah. in, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I had to win, win, win people over all over the shop. Yeah, um, and the only way you can do that is kind of getting in front of people, building relationships, showing what you can bring and add. Six months into that coronavirus kind oh, gosh, of <laughs> pandemic everyone's spread to the corners of you know um wherever they kind of come from and so you're trying to keep the team and the business together through all of the pandemic establish yourself as a leader yeah. learning about the business take it through this transformation 
so it's 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 I think it's pretty much all the challenges you could have. Definitely in a leadership role. That sounds like a lot, though. It sounds yeah. like I'm, I'm just thinking what that is, because if you kind of just like unpick it, you've got you're coming in and like you said, you're having to sort of bring all these brands together and then they're going for a transformation. You must have had. Did you have some pushback from people yeah. there? What were some of the some of the challenges? To, to be honest, I mean, like, not that, you know, anyone was particularly nasty to my, to my face, but I'm, I'm pretty sure there were a lot of people that weren't happy, you yeah. know, about my kind of arrival. Yeah. Um, again, not a personal thing, just my, my background, my context and, you know, my sort of experience. They probably thought, well, what is he going to kind of bring here? Although I was sort of brought in with a mandate to help sort of um, take, like, bring the business together, but also, you know, make it more, progressive and more sort of like uh digitally centric and more sort of forward thinking um and then there's a bunch of people that also are not happy that those terms will be applied to the reality that they currently work within mm-hmm. um so you're dealing with i i would say actually um whilst again i don't believe any of it was personal i would actually say the majority of people were either skeptical or defensive around my arrival um so um what i definitely had in the first six or seven months was a a combination of people acting as if they were in support and you know like um endorsing some of the changes i was trying to make but also you know in the background doing their own little bits of kind of sort of uh sabotage or subterfuge you had some people who were just like openly refusing to engage in you know, some of the additions that I was trying to to bring into the business. So um, it was challenging. And how do you deal with that? Because that's something people don't necessarily talk about. You know, you kind of think, oh, yes, you know, I'm CEO of this massive division, this business. It sounds all glamorous. But when you have sort of pushback, then how do you deal with that? Um, I mean, I always, so I, very little kind of phases me. I always try and sort of, stay fairly calm and objective, you know, about things. Mm-hmm. When it comes to someone's point of view, I, you know, and, and if it might be sort of opposed to me, I, I always try to actively think about it from their point of view, mm-hmm. even if I fundamentally disagree with it. Yeah. Because, you know, if part of my job as CEO is to get people aligned with my way of thinking, I've got to understand where they're starting from uh, initially, how I can bring them either closer to my way of thinking or you know sort of um find somewhere to meet in the middle so understanding people's motivations their fears concerns you know the apprehensions they might have um but also what their kind of ambition is and how i can address all of those things while sort of achieving the objective that i need to i need to achieve in some cases you also need to like i'm a big believer in sort of transparency where you where you you can do you know what i mean because the consistency and sort of authenticity and, and truth ultimately is it, it, truth in a logic is quite hard to sort of argue with mm-hmm. because then it becomes around a, a sort of um false sense of like premises the individual has you know around either yourself or what you're trying to achieve mm-hmm. which they don't stand up in evidence when that really happens and so they can continue to have that point of view but others around them will, will basically be saying what you're saying and what you believe isn't actually what's happening. Yeah. So, you know, do we lean into what's true and which is actually beneficial for us or do we lead into what seems to be your own sort of personally fueled sort of challenges and sort of issues? Yeah, and, you know, um, the one thing I think you've got to do as any CEO, like there's a big part of you which needs to be resilience, mm-hmm. um, particularly if you're operating like, sort of creative or you know field of innovation or trying anything new that's not been done before and trying to bring diverse sets of people whether that's skill sets experience background or whatever to kind of come together around the solution is you will encounter difficulty and failure more often than you will encounter success Wow! you have to find a way to work through that and you have to also push the team to work through that and for mm-hmm. them to see the end goal of success outweighing the you know, the 1% of success outweighing the 99% of difficulty, failure and hardship to get there. That's so interesting, actually. I quite like that because you kind of don't necessarily see people who kind of, I guess, made it to your level think, okay, actually, they've had more failures in their day-to-day than success. So that's actually quite refreshing. 
What is your experience like in the ad world? So you're one of very few black CEOs. It's a white dominated mm. industry. I mean, they are slowly trying to make some change, but still very few. What is that experience like? Because I feel like we hear a lot about black women, not just in the ad, ad world, like, but just, I think in general in business, we talk a lot about black women in C-suite positions, but I don't feel like we talk, there's a lot of talk around the black male experience. And so I'd like to kind of mm. know a bit more about that. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, I've experienced all the, you know, as you can imagine, all the negativity that you can expect to experience as you, particularly as you progress to a more senior level, you know, where people just, wouldn't respect your position, you know, you still be like invalidated in the room. They'll still be like raised eyebrows, you know, whether it's potential new clients or, you know, other sectors, you know, other sort of uh, partners or, you know, third parties when I'm introduced as, as the CEO, you know, which is all related yeah. to their own prejudice. There, there are still occasions, even in the business that we have today, whereby um, I will make a point, it might be made by another peer of the same level, the same point within minutes of each other, you know, one point is listened and adhered to rather than rather than the other. Mm. You know, as I said, I'm personally quite resilient to it. Uh, you know, we tend to have to be as, you know, underrepresented groups trying to sort of plough our way through because um, we have to build that, that kind of iron skin, that shield to sort of keep going. It's not not right at, at all, but it's, it's something that we kind of have to do. That I think particularly when it comes to your point around sort of the black... Uh, male CEO or senior leader experience. I think the reason that you find a lot of you know black um, male CEOs or senior leaders aren't that necessarily that visible or you know you know sort of yeah. um, put themselves forward, possibly less so than um, you know black female uh, leaders is. I still think there is a what's the word um, kind of prevalent prejudice around sort of the aggressive kind of blackmail or people feeling threatened and I've definitely had the experience several times actually whereby I will make a point it won't even be heated or will challenge somebody and people will say they felt intimidated or they're finding it sort of difficult to kind of work with you and then I'll have colleagues and peers you know white colleagues and peers who will you know be in literal histrionics screaming blinding swearing losing control which isn't something even in my nature yeah. or my personality, but is yeah. a million miles from where I am. And everybody goes, oh, well, that's just how they are. They're a difficult person, you know, whatever else. I've, I've had line managers say to me that somebody feels uncomfortable having a meeting with you. And more often than not, it'll be because, you know, I, I don't really take BS. And if I feel something is wrong, I will say it. Mm -hmm. And so I will challenge people to it. And never actually in an aggressive or difficult way, but it will be called out any point of, a conflict or tension I have with somebody, you know, and that might be once or twice, even within a, a year or my exchanges with them, versus they could have it with one of the other peers on a daily basis and it's just accepted as behaviour. Um, so I think there's a lot of muting that black male seniors leaders make uh, around maybe being as vocal and as sort of forthright as they could be, particularly around representation, particularly around change. With my brother and I um, and a few as we set up We Are Stripes well about five six years ago mm -hmm. now and at that time it's still hard to believe but like you know our DNI wasn't even really on the agenda and talked yeah. about as much awesome. as it is right now and we were the only people saying it and I remember getting messages from people both in and outside of the black community from different levels saying are you not worried about what this will do to your career prospects or the wow. future or a target on your back I mean, to be honest, I was never worried about it because um, if I'm not going to get a job or progress in an industry because I'm basically trying to correct the like inequalities and inequities in it and trying to make it more inclusive for my own community but for everybody, yeah. then I shouldn't be in it in the first place. It's, it's okay. a waste of time. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like I'd rather sort of leave knowing I tried to do that and it wasn't right for me than kind exactly. of then just sort of thinking about yourself of exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so that that's sort of where I where I kind of saw it and it, probably to a certain extent in doing that you know I've ended up moving to companies whereby they I mean they already know that's what I'm about and what I'm sort of sort, talking about so that's no surprise to anybody there but um, working more with teams that are 
congruent with my values. Whereas I think there's probably a lot of people that find themselves in the situations that that's not the case. Mm. Um, and they're having to sort of assimilate and comply with something that is probably very polar to you know, how they exist as people or what they think and believe. Exactly. I think it's, it's interesting, actually, because now DNI is at the top of the agenda, like they're talking about it, you know, in, in board meetings and executive, executive leadership team meetings. It's now on the agenda and companies are taking it seriously, obviously, after the Black Lives Matter movement. But I think it's really cool that you've always thought about the pipeline before it became, quote unquote, the in thing to do. Because you said, you've yeah. you know, you talked about setting up We Are Stripes. You've also got culture heroes as well I've read about yeah. that I mean like how yeah. do you how do you find find the time one to to bring others along <laughs> but how like what would be like your kind of I guess advice in terms of how to do that if if for senior leaders for senior black leaders yeah I mean finding the time is a good 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 question um <laughs> yeah lots of people particularly you know my sort of um the team that I work with on mm-hmm culture here is probably think I need I should be spending more time on it and we're trying to sort of squeeze it in um through things in the spare time we have but like I mean I get energy from it I know that I'm delivering some sort of positive contribution so in that it's easier to sort of find the sort of physical time to do it but um you know for like other senior black leaders there are like a number of things I think you could do from my from my point of view they the, the first one, and I guess the kind of easiest one to a certain extent, whenever I got any kind of uh, platform or, you know, when people were paying attention was just about visibility, you know, like using the voice, the platform, the influence that you have and, you know, yourself really is um, uh, as a sort of role model and ambassador to within our sort of community, mm-hmm. you know, particularly to young people who are trying to break in and may not see people that represent themselves within the stream, particularly climbing through the ranks, especially I'm always sort of conscious of school leavers or people in school whereby their educational future or their career future isn't entirely determined by them. It's by people who, you know, are sort of their guardians or, you know, have sort of financial control of their future. And I definitely remember having the conversation with my parents about where I wanted to go and, you know, West African family, they were like, the usual three options, right? <laughs> doctor, like doctor, lawyer, lawyer engineer. Yeah, yeah, all, all of oh, those okay. things. Yeah. Like, I, I didn't want to be any of those things. And I actually think for the sake of humanity, me becoming a doctor or lawyer is probably a good thing. I don't want to be good at it. <laughs> but but you, you were brave. You are the brave ones. I always admired people like you because I had that, but I actually did biomedical science and I actually only until later mm. on did I kind of defy my parents. So you kind of defied them early on. You were like, no, nah, this is not for me. That is so Yeah, cool. I mean, I am, um, <laughs> yeah, I I think um, sort of being either both stubborn or, you know, sort of pig-headed, maybe there was a there was a bit of that um, that was kind of going on for me when I, you know, when I was, I was sort of pushing, pushing against what my parents were putting on me. I mean, I, I did actually study sciences at uni, but that was mainly through sort of an interest in the subject rather than really thinking about pursuing a career in it. But I was always sort of drawn to sort of creativity and to advertising and to marketing and particularly interested in technology. And, you know, even at the time of going to uni and that was sort of the advent of like uh, the internet to a certain extent, which makes me sound really old, but like emails and websites and, you know, uh, all, all of this stuff that was changing how we, behave with each other you know having an influence of culture and then you know culture then having an influence of this technology i thought that was incredible like you had this cir- cycle and circle of things influencing each other which is just accelerating sort of nowadays um and so that's what kind of pulled me into it but i think it's really important that like if you get to a certain point even when it's sort of entry level to sort of my level you're giving back into the community. So, you, you know, you're being present and visible so people can see you um, and acting a bit like a, a beacon, you know, reaching back into communities where people aren't aware of the career paths and the career opportunities. Um, because what we don't realise is outside of our community and the other ones, these are long established, you know, people know people already in these industries and they're helping each other get into it. And, you know, we're not doing that and we're limiting the capabilities of people in our community and, and the talents by trying to force people into what are important and viable careers, but they're not necessarily the careers for everybody. And uh, I think 
demonstrating that actually you can be successful, whether that is, you know, your quality of life or, you know, your compensation in terms of your job role or your recognition or your achievements in the past led trot less trodden makes it easier for everyone to kind of come through. So I think the visibility is a big part of it. I think particularly if you get to a senior level, you know, your ability when it comes to mentoring and sponsorship of more junior people, especially those that are trying to break through the middle, the yes. situation that, yeah. you know, I've been stuck in, others have been stuck in. That middle management. If you've made it into the C-suite, mm-hmm. yeah, you made it into C-suite, the MD, you know for a fact one of two things, that when you break into that level, there's a whole bunch of stuff around being a good leader at the C-suite or the MD that no one actually actively teaches you. You kind of find that through kind of tacit training, exposure, mentorship, and the system is already a little bit biased or you know heavily biased towards more majority represented people getting that that mentoring you know whether that is within gender bias or within ethnicity or you know neurodiversity or whatever else it is it, it, it's skewed to give other people more exposure to the things that help them perform more effectively or be perceived to perform more effectively as senior leaders what is that can i just can i just touch it can i just get a little bit insight before we like we move like what are those things then so like you said there are certain things that people don't um know what are some of those skills and things that you need to kind of get to that c-suite yeah it's everything from like intangible things of like um just team and line management and Mm -hmm. coaching and mentoring kind of style um to more sort of fundamental and structural things like managing your PL, exposure to commercial models, how to put together a business strategy. In our industry in particular, exposure to senior clients or, you know, sort of uh, projects that will help build your profile and your name. Like a, a lot of that stuff um, it is really important because mm-hmm. part of being a senior leader is, you know, having that personal brand that works for your advantage within the business that you're working within mm-hmm. and also outside of it. And that's not something that you'll always kind of get if you're in that stuck, that middle management tier, but more importantly, and sort of tied to that, to that last point is the sponsorship that allows people to show their capability, get in front of other people across the C-suite or senior leadership, raise their profile, um, but then puts them on the radar for those future opportunities because the pyramid gets to a point and at that point you know there are only so many seats for all of this and so it's like people basically bring other people through at that point Mm. and they'll recommend people or you know they will someone will have built a reputation whereby they'll make it through a hiring process as an early selection a lot of the roles are not advertised do you know what I mean or by Mm. the time they're advertised People have already gone through the shortlist. Mm-hmm. And if you aren't in the circle, you haven't had the profile um, or the exposure, or you haven't had um, the sort of tacit mentoring that makes you feel confident you could put yourself forward for it, you're already on the second shortlist, which if that even happens, you know, is, is an even tougher group to get through. So I think there's, there's a job that for those, for those of us in the black community, bringing people through that middle tier mm-hmm. is you know, it is that mentoring, it is that sponsorship because we have the year of people now so we can open the doors mm. um, for people and connect people and help build the networks. There's a guy called Tony Effick who leads Black and Brilliant, which I'm a part of, and he calls them the cheat codes. Mm-hmm. It's like, what are the corporate tricks and things you need to navigate to make sure you're progressing your career mm-hmm. that people are passing down to each other in you know other communities we need to be doing more of that in, in the black community. So I, I say that's that's what you need to be doing. And then, yeah, I mean, if you are in charge of a PL, you're in charge of a business strategy, there are like core things you can do operationally strategically to start baking into the business strategy and making sure everyone knows the value of it, mm-hmm. of a more inclusive and representative uh, and equitable business. Um, so that's within your gift and you can you can make those changes happen. And so I think, at the very minimum, because I understand some people may have apprehension around the visibility thing, but if you can mm-hmm. control the budget and you can control the strategy, then yeah, use the levers you can control. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's actually really useful because people don't really realise that. Mm-hmm. 
have you learned from any of your mentors that you still use today? Yeah, quite a few things. I mean, I guess, um, so the classic one that everyone always tells you is like, you know, what is your personal brand? But Mm -hmm. not in the kind of like BS way of like, oh, you have to make it go around sort of creating quite literally your own, you know, logo and have your own marketing PR campaign. Um, you know, my my mentor that told me that said it was he said, essentially he said like, if you are not in the room, mm. what sort of thing do people call you in for? You know, where is there an ete shaped hole where everyone will go? Do you know who we need right now yes. is at, because of X. Mm-hmm. So tie it to what you authentically can, where your passion is, where your expertise, and what you can see your business needs. So root it in that authenticity and build your personal brand around value and positive contribution you can deliver if you just build it around hype and sort of false marketing and pr at some point that bill comes due and people will ask you to back yes, up the thing you say you exactly, can do exactly yeah um yeah so you've got so, to actually have the goods yeah, and be like <laughs> you to deliver it yeah yeah you gotta deliver it and you know That's you true. can build a confidence from that as well because mm. the you know there is there is something to be said about knowing that you might be the best in your organization, the best in the industry, you know, arguably in some cases, you know, the best in the UK, the best in the world at the thing that you do, you know, mm-hmm. and there, there's an anchor and a confidence you can build from that that will help with the resilience of the challenges that you'll sort of face in the future, being able to draw back on something and go, well, I know I can do this yeah. as good, that. if not better than anyone else in my field. You've just given me a light bulb moment, some really good advice for my own career, because when you just said, like, be the best at what you do like in that's such a like a, it may sound small but it's a really big thing like it's very simple yeah. but not I didn't necessarily yeah. even look at my career like that it's really a powerful yeah. like um statement because sometimes we think oh you have to work hard you have to suck up to this person but actually you're saying yeah. if you can just get a reputation where you are the best at what you do that's just yeah. enough to get you in um in the door yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it will, it will go it will go a long way. I mean, don't get me wrong. There there are definitely some organisations where you know, unfortunately, the sort of political side of things plays into it. Mm. But but again, like we have all, I'm sure, worked in businesses whether they are like that or not, where you find some leaders and you suddenly go, well, this person doesn't quite seem like they can do the thing they said they could do. Mm-hmm. What's kind of going on there? And you know, I'm not against people stretching themselves and, you know, having a growth mindset and sort of pushing themselves outside of their comfort zone, which is the other great piece of advice I got from my mentor. But truth and authenticity in being good at something is is so vital, I think, for your ongoing progression. I guess the other useful bits of advice that I got was building and cultivating your council. So having mentors, an advisory board, a sponsor, the more people you can have that can help expand your thinking, open up opportunities for you, give you advice in every field, you know, whether it's personal, whether it's prof- professional, I think it's, it's a good thing. I, I, I sort of think a lot of that stems from, again, growing up in sort of a West African household whereby, like, there is a, you know, there are councils of people around you, you know, whether it's immediate family, whether it's extended family, you know, whether it's friends of the family, like, there is a network of support there that can support you in lots of different ways if you're, you know, you're fortunate enough to have it. And um, that's something I think is vital throughout your entire life, you know, for, for so many reasons. Um, and then I guess the, the other piece that's been really useful that our mentor's given me is, um, uh, you probably are familiar with it, it's a Japanese philosophy called uh, Ikigai. And it's basically all about how you find your balance in life, and so it's um, it's it's like a framework that goes, okay, what um, what can you get paid for as a profession, um, and where does that overlap with where the world needs, mm-hmm. what the world needs, what um, uh, where does that overlap with what your passions are, with what your strengths are, and the ideal with Ikigai, I think it's literally called reason for being, is that mm-hmm. you land somewhere in the center of all these overlapping uh, diagrams, and then you're in complete fulfillment, you know, like everything that you're doing is sort of contributing to these. But what my mentor told me is that it's actually almost near impossible. Unless people are doing like 
purely vocational things that they've been mm-hmm. driven for to land in the center. Yeah. But you learn how to manage your life by if work pays the bills and puts food on the table yeah. and you know it's um something that you can get paid for and you're good at, then don't try and break yourself by striving too much for fulfillment in it if you know emotional spiritual fulfillment in it if it, if that's not going to provide it with you within the construct of what you know how to do to get paid for to survive you can find that fulfillment those overlapping gaps from somewhere else mm-hmm. and complete the puzzle with different component parts rather than trying to in some cases achieve the impossible due to just the situation that you know yeah. you're in to make all those bits stick together and i think that is really important because at the moment there is a there is there's a bit of a cultural narrative of that your whole life has to be completely perfect doing that kind of one thing that it centers around mm-hmm. when actually you can get to a life that you find fulfilled and rewarded from lots of different building blocks yeah, and compartmentalizing those things yeah, that's really, really... I'm going to check that out, actually, because I'd never heard of that. So I've just written it down. I'm like, oh, this is something for me to look into. What is your thoughts about, I guess, the future of work? Um, so you, you, You've spoken a lot around your kind of... You're leading um, this transformation uh, uh, engine. But what are your thoughts now after we've coming out of not just the pandemic, but even just like way into the future, say maybe even like 15 years from yet, from now, what do you think the future of work will be? Mm, it's I mean it's so hard to predict anything at the moment but yeah we don't I, know. I, I, I do yeah I mean hopefully not another not another set of lockdowns you know um yeah. over the next um next year but I, I I think the flexible working thing is is definitely here to stay and I think it's going to become um a decider actually they already is but a decider for where people work it will become an advantage in terms of acquiring talent just giving being able to give people that flexibility and it's it's long overdue because there are so many people that have been excluded from the workforce because they've not you know because of a culture of presenteeism and not being able to be in five days a week whether that you know you're a parent or a carer or you know particularly in our industry you know people that can't afford to live in london yeah. Um, you know, so I think it will open up possibilities and opportunities for so many more people if we get the balance right between building a sense of um, community and collaboration and camaraderie, but also managing people's flexibility and sort of remote working and making people feel more empowered in the work that they do, which ultimately will be more fulfilled. I actually don't think we'll be far off in some sectors of industries moving to four-day weeks. Um, yeah. because the the thing we saw over the pandemic, I mean, I don't know about um, the places that, you know, you, you're working in or, you know, but like our office is pretty quiet on a Friday afternoon yeah. um, well, for a number of reasons. every day now, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Fridays um, is the worst, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Fridays are quiet. Monday mornings are always a bit quiet, but then like, you know, the, you look at so many of the reports and you realize that actually people have been working harder and productivity hasn't gone hasn't dropped and mm. um there definitely needs to be balance right we can't be concentrating stuff into a number of hours and just saying people work you know 14 15 hour days and then get two days off that doesn't crazy. make any yeah. sense but i think what what we need to realize is moving towards a culture which is about performance over presenteeism and so you know if people are able to deliver all the things they need for the team whether it's for clients you know whether it's off their own back you know actually be productive then give people more flexibility within that time um providing they're not affecting overall productivity and actually put ownership um back onto kind of employees and move away from the sort of 1950s post-war model of like clocking, clock out. Your employees are essentially trying to cheat your business or, you know, um, get away with stuff if they can do. I, particularly in our industry, I know very few people that are trying to cheat their organisations. In fact, most people are over-contributing against the contract, so to speak, because they're in it, because they want to do something. Yeah, exactly. And And it's, we saw in the pandemic it's it's applicable to pretty much every sector you know from 
public health to other private sectors, we were given the opportunity to work remotely and people didn't take the piss. Can I say that? Like, yeah, yeah, that yeah, you can, you can. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People, yeah. people didn't take the piss. In, instead, they, they, they did the opposite. They were just really like on lockdown early. I think I, I found I, yeah. I worked earlier and finished later because we were just focused. So yeah. Right. Yeah. They didn't. Yeah. They didn't. Yeah. So I think that will happen. I, I Obviously, I think there'll be more sort of automation and, you know, a greater influence of technology, particularly in the creative sector. I'd like to genuinely see creatives starting to use all the things that have been touted for a while in terms of like emerging, but now in sort of prevalent technologies around mm. AI and data yeah. for richer, more creative experiences mm-hmm. um, rather than just effective uh, media and marketing from kind of our sector. Um, I have a secret hope that the world continues to become more globally connected and more in you know, kind of uh, uh, international. And I think technology, the internet, flexibility around work will sort of sort of foster that. Because I think the more opportunities we have for these different intersections of you know, cultures, of people, of philosophy, of schools of thought, for creativity, for innovation, for productivity, you know, that is vital um, to sort of taking us forward, every industry, every sector, um, you know, but dare I say it from a global societal point of view, the more we start to learn and understand and spend time, you know, in each other's cultures, in each other's countries, maybe we get to a point of tolerance, you know, and kind of understanding and appreciation and respect mm-hmm. of, you know, other other people's viewpoints on things which we need more than ever I think right now you know in in the world that we're in yeah exactly and one of the questions I wanted to ask you before we wrap up there's just two questions I wanted to find out a bit more about your management style so like what kind of leader Mm. are you I think a a lot of my management style is sort of baked I think in my background so I, I started out in production and project management and you know obviously when when you're doing that the main job is getting lots of different people with different skills, different expertise to kind of come together to work towards a common goal. Mm-hmm. More often than not in, you know, advertising and particularly digital advertising, you're trying to come towards a common goal to create something new or something that's never been done before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are some pretty key things that I think you need as a leader or a manager in, in that situation. You've you got to be relatively calm because you kind of need to be sort of the calm in the middle of the storm uh, for a lot of things. Collaboration, I think, is key. Like our, the creativity in our industry is is so much around lots of different people coming together to make something interesting, you know, and it's a real team sport in that sense. And so that combination of like imagination and collaboration is what gets to our creativity. And so if you're a collaborative leader that can foster collaboration, but also knows how to work with different people, I think is important. Like adaptability, I'd probably say is a key part of my um, uh, of my leadership style. I can respond to things quite well and also help teams adapt to sort of situations. Um, I'm pretty solutions focused, so tend to just help people get to where they kind of need to. I hope people would say like empathetic and transparent, authentic. But yeah, I'd say that's my style: like calm, collaborative solutions focused and and pretty sort of balanced you know i'll sort of take all people's perspectives and understand where they're coming from um yeah brilliant i was going to ask you just a a quick question on if you've ever had imposter syndrome yeah i mean i i have it all the time before starting this podcast before every kind of presentation um you know definitely when i went into the new roller engine I, I i don't think it ever goes away i think you learn to sort of manage and cope with it for the last definitely the last sort of three or four years or so as i've sort of going into leadership roles and i've thought about the leaders that i've worked with that were good and bad looked at peers who may be doing what i would perceive as a good job as leaders or not or people who have been particularly successful that i admire and i actually think all the people that have strived to be great at what they do or, you know, striving to be great leaders are fueled a little bit by that sense of imposter syndrome because yeah. un- what's underpinning it is a desire to to be good but also a level of self-awareness that I think is vital to being sort of successful 
knowing the areas that you need to develop in, knowing where your kind of weaknesses are, being honest and transparent with yourself about that, um, I think is, is is sort of critical to success and it kind of drives you on. So whilst, you know, imposter syndrome for some of us, and I've definitely had, experienced it where, you know, it can almost leave you with a sense of anxiety around several things, it can also be a bit of a motivating force because what's underlying it is actually a desire to, to be great and to do good things and aware of the areas you need to sort of develop in. But I, I don't think you ever lose it. I think you just learn to manage it and in some cases embrace it, as I said. Yeah, that's really insightful. Thank you. And what is on your joy list? So what are some of the things we've spoken a lot about you in yeah. work mode, you, 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 you know, really give a lot of time to your community, but what do you do for mm. you? Yeah. Well, I mean, the joy list, uh, family is definitely on the joy list. Um, I've got, I've got a son, Levi, sort of 13. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it's a constant joy being a parent, although, you know, he's entering teenage years, so I'm not oh, sure he's... he's getting that much joy. <laughs> yeah, it's that, that age, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, like travel, all different parts, especially places I've never been to before. When I spent some time working at AKQ, I got the opportunity to go and work in Japan, in Tokyo for a while, and oh, in Shanghai, amazing. in China. Yeah, it was amazing, and I think it was quite pivotal in a lot of my personal development and my professional one, because... I was basically dropped into a uh, culture and a situation that was completely alien to anything that I grew up in mm-hmm. or anything that I'd experienced at all um, from language to, you know, how people behave to how, you know, projects were even delivered in, in you know, the industry and you work with clients, stuff that I could have known and I had to learn it. And I actually think I came back better as a result of having to, relearn those new things and and being in uh, you know a culture and environment that was different to my own and sort of surviving in it and thriving in it and building friendships and sort of communities and that um so travels there music uh i don't think i could ever live without music to be honest with you um first thing that's on is something from one of my many playlists um i'm basically constantly listening to to music all the time. I actually have the soundtrack to my own life in the back of my mind. So oh, you know, if, if, if anyone asks, I go right here. Here's the list of the songs. Um, oh, sort of tied yeah. to that is is cinema. I'm a big film buff and, and film fan. Okay. Um, you know, like everything from like Hitchcock's through to Marvels. Like, um, you know, I, I like ah, going okay. to cinema, like the experience of it. Yeah. Um, but you know, I also like cinematography, writing, um, directing. Um, recently started getting into surfing over the last sort of three or four years. So where do you surf? In the the UK? It's normally like, um, on holiday when we go abroad. Ah, Um, like I'm, I'm still a bit of a fair weather surfer and like, I'm not ready yet to go into the cold water of the UK, but we've been to like, (laughs) (laughs) we've been to like Mexico and Portugal and Tenerife and sort of surf there. Yeah. Uh, it's something that Levi and I he's better at it than i i am um but um you know we kind of really enjoy it and there's i don't know there's something about being out in the sea in the water or just by it you know that is actually really calming and therapeutic but then surfing is a sort of thing that you never or in my experience and i'm still an amateur but you never get good at it so you're constantly trying to master it and then you've got the unpredictability of the sea Yes. Um, and so there's, you know, there's that sort of sense of constant challenge, which is, is good. Um, yeah, that's it really. And then, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm sports like football has always been a big part of life. Um, I'm a massive Arsenal fan. I think Ryan is as well. He's mentioned it to oh, me same before. Here. I do. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Arsenal fans. Okay, um, cool. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you've got a good balance. You've got a really good balance, which is really good. Try to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really good. We ask our guests, it's called the quick fire round. So we ask our guests mm-hmm. the same questions and you just kind of give me um, the first answer that comes to your mind. So my first uh, quick fire round question to you is, can you tell us, you kind of talk, you, you spoke about a trip before, mm. but we ask our guests to say about the trip or tell us the trip that changed your life or that was the most memorable. Mm. Mm. I'd say that time spent working in Asia, it, it basically transformed my life and my perspective on things. If you mess up like big time in your job, so you've mm. made this the biggest mistake, 
Who do you call and why? Uh, my little brother, Akama. Uh, we've always been really close. And, you know, family is the one people you can go to that will have your back, but will also call you out, you know, mm. uh, which my brother will do if I'm, you know, if I'm in the wrong or if I'm looking at things slightly differently. And we don't agree on everything as well, which is good. But he also works in the industry. So oh, he does okay. it with a perspective as well. Yeah. Okay. Love that. What's was or what has been the toughest time in your career? Yeah, definitely the last 14 months. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, going that move from AF to engine and all of those things that kind of came with it, you know, new job role, new agency, pandemic, leading through it both professionally, but also all the personal stuff that's happened to all of us over the last 14 months. I think it's been, um, you know, for everybody that's kind of like made it through it. I, I think everyone just needs to congratulate themselves a little bit, you know, because it's not been easy for any of us. Exactly. Yeah. It's been a tough, tough time for a lot of people. Mm. And finally, what is the single most important thing our listeners can do to level up in their careers? Um, I would say always be like learning or always have a learning mindset. Um, you know, keep pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone. Keep trying to stretch the capabilities of, you know, what you can what you can do, where your experiences, you know, the skills that you're acquiring, like stay in continual self-development. And I think it's especially important the more senior you become to sort of stay in that constant learning mode. I think the, the best leaders I've ever worked with have always had like growth mindsets and been in sort of constant learning mode. Yeah. Thank you for that. Thank you so much. You have been an awesome guest. I've got so many like things like takeaways and things that I can use for like my, my personal development as well. So thank you so much. It's been, it's been great talking to you and thanks for giving up your time. No worries. Thank you for inviting me. I really enjoyed it. That was such an incredible episode and every episode we do a debrief where we talk about our key takeaways from each interview and I'm back here with my producer Ryan. Hello. That was good, wasn't it? Ete was oh, man. very inspiring. I, I got, yeah, so many light bulb moments. I know I, I know I keep saying it during this series, but it's real. Mm, no, it really is. It's real. It really is real. Like Again, it's just such an honour and, and a benefit to be able to hear these conversations. So Ete, particularly as a black male CEO, uh, as me as a black male leader, it just spoke to my experience so much. And it's so inspiring to hear how he's handled that. So one of my main takeaways was about being the calm in the storm. Mm. Because that's one thing you need as a, as a leader anyway. But then on top of that, as with the black male layer with the kind oh, of gosh, stigma yes. of being aggressive and mm-hmm. all of that kind of stuff. You know, it's two things you've got to navigate, but actually being, being a calm in a storm is what you want from a leader, from the captain of the ship. You know, you don't want someone that flutters about or is aggressive or displaying all of this bad behavior that, that Ete referred to. Mm-hmm. It's just so much more powerful to be that calm in a storm. It's harder though. It is, it is, it is. And that really resonated with me actually in terms of, if there's a, a turbulent time taking place in your business, I kind of, that makes sense because it's like, you know, if you panic, everyone's going to leave the ship, If you know what I mean? So you have to kind of, you know, I guess outside be calm, but obviously inside you might be anxious or whatever, but you've got to kind yeah. of, I guess, externally be the calm so that everybody else on your team is is calm. And that's kind of, that's something that I need to do better with because like even, um, and I've got a tiny team, it's like three of us, but sometimes I'm like, oh my God, shit, this is happening. And I'm like, no, okay, Vanessa, just, you know, I, I'm I'm now thinking, okay, I've got to learn to, if something goes wrong, I need to be calm so that I don't, because sometimes it's like, my team will calm me. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, right. I need to, I need to re- reverse those roles and, yeah. and kind of be, be calm in difficult times. So I learned a lot from that. The other thing that stood out for me was when he said, And this is literally, I'm going to think about this so much when he said about your personal brand and Mm. you just have to focus on being the best at what you do. And that's so simple, but so powerful. Like you being the best person for whatever it is you do. Like if you just be the best at it, that's going to open doors. And I think 
that was really timely for me as I'm going on this full-time entrepreneurship journey. That just gave me this light bulb moment of, do you know what? I just want to make sure that within my business and what we do, we have to be the best at what we do. 100%. And if we're at the best of what we do, the clients, more clients will come, more partners will come. Yeah, so, I completely yeah. agree. Um, it was so powerful mm-hmm. what you were talking about. How do you get to the table? But how are you invited to the table? So what Ete was saying about if you're not in the room, what are people inviting you in the room for? Mm. That was so powerful because mm. then you think about what is your personal brand? What are you top of mind for? And this mm. has kind of been a thread um, through through our guests. They're all people that is, it's very clear what they do. And if you needed yeah. a specialist in that area, that person you know, would call become them. top of mind. And yeah. what he was talking about, you know, where's the, the cardboard cutout of you? Where Where is that mm. gap? Where is that, that hole that you can fill? And, utilizing your personal brand is the way to do that and just being clear about what you do and it being authentic as well like being 100% authentic in your mission in your voice and yeah that's that's how you get invited yeah that was just yeah that was key and and I loved and literally I've I've made some notes for um my because I had this membership at Girls to London called The Climb um, and it's to help women connect and climb the corporate ladder and when he was talking about the leadership skills I was like writing down notes I was like right I'm going to be teaching the Climb members this when he was saying stuff about visibility but also when he was saying about um yeah working on sort of projects to give you visibility but also he was saying which really I was like ding 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 was when he said you have to know how to coach others Mm. and I thought that's so interesting because people don't realize this and I've actually seen this a lot in the corporate world where that's been a core skill that I've had to develop how do you coach other team members yeah how do you coach those that you're line managing to develop because if you can't show that you have coaching skills no one's going to give you a team because mm. how are you going to coach and develop them so people kind of miss that and think oh well I only have to develop those skills when I arrive so I thought oh that is so key so I'm going to make sure with my membership we start teaching um that aspect I was like that was really good that is so key yeah you're so yeah. right because you can be the most skillful person at a you know a particular role but unless you can communicate that and uh, mm-hmm. you know, level up the people around you because exactly. nothing in this world is done on your own, right? Mm-hmm. Unless you can do that, you're not going to be handed a team. And exactly. as you climb, the bigger your team's usually going to be. So I know. Exactly. yeah, really, really key. But talking about climbing yeah. as well, um, another takeaway was about the growth mindset and actually the higher you go, the more you need to be learning. Mm-hmm. I felt that was good. And the metaphor with does for joy, which is surfing, you know, mm-hmm. being in the ocean, and the ocean's never the same. You can never really master this craft, but you just have to yeah. constantly be in that growth mindset. I felt that was really powerful. And it's actually a good image to hold in, in your mind as you're climbing, whatever you're doing. Exactly, exactly. Now there's just so many gems. I really feel like he took us on that, on his journey, just in his at his time at Engine. I like the fact that we spoke spoke a lot about that defining role in his career and and all the stuff that he does outside as well. I like that he has a really good balance because, you know, some people at that level that, you know, CEO level, sometimes they'll be like, oh, I don't have time, you know, but he's into lots of creative and artistic things. So, yeah. And his energy is very, very calm, very zen, yeah, you know, and you wouldn't necessarily chill. expect that from someone as, as high up as he is yeah. with as much on his plate as he does, but mm-hmm. also in a, in a position that he is as a, black male CEO in Britain um, yeah. overlooking not only engine but black and brilliant yes and and culture heroes black and brilliant and culture heroes yeah sadly I see a lot of black people who are at his level they just close the door let's be frank quite there's a lot that have done that but he's so rare in that he's he's actually genuinely opening the door because there yes. are some people who are speaking about it oh do you know and yes I, but he's doing the groundwork and for me, that's just incredible. And I think there's so much we can take away from that, that you know what, you don't have to, I guess, wait to, until you're CEO, but you should always actively think about how you're bringing more people through the pipeline. And I'm going to challenge myself as well, because even like as now in, as a CEO of a small business, I'm now thinking, how can I help another black, younger female CEO who might be trying to start her own business how can I help that person? So I'm going to challenge myself to do that. 
Mm, um, that's a good challenge. Yeah, I'm going to give myself Definitely, a challenge. Definitely. Because, yeah. like you said, he's, he's, he's CEO now and he wasn't always. Um, but he's always mm. been lifting people up he's and been, yeah, platforming exactly. people. And it is so powerful. And I'm also going to challenge myself to do that more as well. Great episode. Great episode. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and for joining me for After Work Drinks. If you learned anything from this episode, please do share with someone you think would benefit. Don't forget to leave me a comment with what you learned along with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people like yourself find the show. Follow us on Instagram on at After Work Drinks Club. A special thank you goes to Blue Water and to Pure Creation Media for producing this episode. <laughs>